Hello and welcome, I'm Dr Joanna Bucknell and you're listening to episode 25 of Tate. That's T-A-I-T, which is short for talking about immersive theatre. In this episode, I chat with folks from Buck Buck Games uh, about the work that they have been doing during and before lockdown. But I do just need to clarify uh, that in this instance, I was actually approached by Buck Buck Games and I was very lucky to be gifted an opportunity to play one of their online experiences, which is Questiony. It's something we talk about uh, in the episode as well, um, but I just wanted to make that clear. Um, so without further ado, really, I'm gonna let you get at the episode. Enjoy. So I'm here in Zoomland with Ben Tucker and Paul Flannery from Buck Buck Games. So hello, and thank you so much for taking the time out to join me here in small square zoom land it's where we all live now <laughs> uh, so i was wondering if you could both just tell the folks listening a little bit about yourselves and your background and i thought ben if we could start with you that would be cool yeah all right um so i started out doing art and design and advertising uh university and then got a job in advertising did that for 20 years um which was hell um trying to sort of convince people to buy stuff they don't need is something i'm now trying to um compensate by entertaining people <laughs> with with fun new games with stuff that they can actually enjoy um and but the advertising side of things um and also the sound design as well i i, I did a, i opened a sound uh composition company to do which started by doing jingles for adverts um, but all of those skills have now culminated in this immersive theatre world uh, which is very helpful um, it seems like it, I was really impressed and overwhelmed by the attitude of people in immersive theatre and improv um, they seem to all be really, really lovely people, very aware, very open, very adaptive. And that seems to be something that is probably trained by being lots of different types of people. They become very sort of um, interested in everything that's going on around them. I say them, it's probably us as well. I mean, I do it too. So it's... it's um, yeah, it trains people to become very um, open to change and being uh, and being different and trying new things. And um, it seems like the advertising background and has um, helped in terms of, okay, how can we make a thing that we can market and put out there that entertains people first and foremost, but does actually generate an income for actors because that's that's often something that's missing from the agenda. Uh, no, I agree. And it's something that is mentioned a lot. And I think you're right. I haven't met anyone involved in immersion who hasn't had kind of a, a past of many different jobs or coming from a slightly different discipline. And so I think there's a real kind of interdisciplinary, intersector sort of convergence, I think, in immersive theatre and in, in game experience as well. And it's all those transferable skills that brings that kind of resilience and very much can do attitude, I think, to immersive theatre especially because we've always been sort of on the outside and it's it's very interesting as well that you mentioned the funding in that way because I think a lot of traditional theatre models rely on that kind of arts council funding to get everybody on their feet and I think this is very different and I think that's because you've got people coming in 
from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different industries who are bringing that kind of expertise and kind of saying, you know, how do we how do we pay the rent without having to fill out a ludicrously large arts council form and getting not enough money to pay everyone who's involved. So um, I'll probably pick up some of these things a little bit after um, Paul's had a chance to tell us a little bit about himself. So Paul, what about you? <laughs> Hello. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I'm Paul Flannery. I started, uh, oh, I was acting full time since about 2005 maybe. Um, on and off, to be fair, I'd done a myriad of different jobs before then. I sort of came out of college doing graphic design and fell into acting by accident. Um, and, and then I got lucky enough to fall into immersive theatre in 2013, which was quite, quite early on in its, in its infancy. Mm -hmm. And again, it was just a, a, one of those completely uh, random things that, ha that happened. I didn't know what immersive theatre was. I'd done... Uh, I've done quite a lot of improv beforehand and um, and yeah, and, and this was just, it was a, a, a bizarre job. I'll tell you about it in a bit. Um, but in the same year, I, I also got the chance to uh, take over or to launch uh, the show called Nightmare Live, which is based on the kids TV show of the same name uh, and take it up to the Edinburgh Fringe. And that sort of really set me on my way to, so I sort of like flipped between that and doing immersive theatre projects along the side of it, working for other companies and, and producing my own um and along the way I, I sort of met Ben I think last last year when yeah it was yeah it was, last year, wasn't it? it was only last year uh <laughs> Ben and I met but I'd heard of Buck Buck Games before um and we did a, a random uh, immersive job together and then started started working together um uh, to, Peaky Blinders Festival wasn't it that's right yeah Peaky Blinders Festival and then um and then we started working together to bring things uh to to the fore once you know, once COVID kicked in and and, and lockdowns mm -hmm. were certain, um, yeah, we we started chatting and uh, about doing stuff together, and it, it just you know we we ended up where we were two nights ago with you mm -hmm. me on a Zoom playing silly games. <laughs> <laughs> and so, did you both have an interest in kind of tabletop games or RPGs? Do you have kind of that in sort of your backgrounds as well that sort of converged on top of everything else? Mine only really kicked in during uh, the process of making Nightmare. I mean, I used to play, I, I had vague memories of playing Risk as a kid, um, playing a few board games like that, but <clears throat> it was really, um, I was working with uh, a really good friend of mine now, Tom Bell, who is obsessed with board games, and he got me hooked on, on them. Uh, mm -hmm. When we started doing Nightmare together, I now have like a hundred of them stacked in my house. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> lo lovely big boxes of, of cards and meeples and nonsense. Uh, and so, yeah, they, they've sort of, <clears throat> it's slowly taken over my life and bled into my work because Nightmare effectively is a live game. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then from then on, pretty much all of the shows that I've produced have got a game element to them. Mm -hmm. um, I think we find that across um, most things in our culture at the moment, game, gamification is kind of sliding in. I mean, I'm even seeing it in the workplace in training approaches to training approaches to pedagogy all that kind of thing it's kind of gamified everything nightmare there was one of my favorite uh tv shows as a kid i absolutely loved that yeah. but i was um i was an ref kid so i lived in germany and just had repeats of old things from the bbc and uh, itv on on and i think they were really old when i was watching them when i was small so yeah so how about you ben do you did you have an interest in gaming Yes, I absolutely uh, adore 
gaming and and I did a dual nightmare as well as a child but in terms of like gaming mechanics um, I started off uh, at this company a little company called Moocow um, in about 2006 where I was creating products for the UK and US market um, for the gift shops which um, involved a game called Challenge at the time which is now called Beat That um, and it was a very rare board game um, which we created loads and loads of little challenges for but the basic premise is what you can do in 30 seconds and um, how many you can do X of in 30 seconds so like sing mm -hmm. Madonna songs uh, throw a little ball into a a target area or whatever like a massive range of things you could do and it was a lot of fun uh, and unfortunately the design of it was was out of my hands but uh, it was great um in terms of thinking about uh, play and the arenas of play and where we're at now with buck buck games is uh, very much about creating very safe spaces for people to be whatever they want to be within this zone um, all commanded by great people like uh, Paul and uh, Liam Fleming and uh, other people who are going to be starting to create these uh, other games. Um, I know Liam actually as well. <laughs> yeah, well he's got a, a new one. It's just out actually. This just on the weekend. You can, you might want to play yes, that. I saw it on Facebook. It's it's time at the moment. I've got so many so many irons in the fire. It's kind of it's a bit crazy trying to fit everything everything in especially because I only have a very tiny window when the toddler's gone to bed between him going to bed and then having to go to sleep because I know I'm going to be up at like four. <laughs> yeah, yeah you have to adapt and create your own little work zone around these little people don't you? Mm. Yeah it'll be okay when he gets a bit bigger because he can kind of participate then but at 18 months there's there's not a great deal of uh no. of no. cajoling into, into anything or even understanding rules. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, my kids are just old enough now to, to play games and we, I, I basically just buy them games for their birthday and Christmas under the, <laughs> under the pretense that they're going to enjoy them. But really, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm playtesting. Um, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it, it's a very, um, it's a great opportunity to, to take people who are already immersed and play with them and their mind in the same way that improv games uh, do. I remember going to a, a secret cinema once and it was very much about like going from person, I'll oh, go over there and see that, go over there, see that, pass that on to this. But there wasn't any actual, I mean, the, the potential for play was there and reward, but it's what occurred to me was there's no actual sort of, real tangible goal or, or reward happening it's yeah. like the, the the pieces are there but the puzzle's not coming together it's it's um so yeah what we try well what we do especially with um hunt for the smoking caterpillar is um which paul plays the baron in um quite a bit uh is, is actually bring it all together so that the, the story is all leading somewhere and it can lead to various places um and we mm -hmm. we generally try to make the player the the hero and give them full agency over over everything that happens well that's my biggest that's always been my biggest frustration actually is this kind of false promise of, of play or gaming when you because I, I am just automatically in that kind of mindset now so looking for clues looking for things looking to chase down something and I had the same sort of experience with secret cinema I went to 28 days later 
um, was the one I went to. And so the first 40 minutes were kind of really interesting. But then once you got into that kind of main sort of space where you're held effectively till everyone's in. <laughs> so you, they had their little set pieces, but then I tried to interact and I tried to kind of engage with the space and look for other kind of additional things. And I just kind of met, very much met a wall. And I know they've done a lot of iterations of other things uh, since then. So I don't know if that's changed a bit, but that was a frustration yeah. I think for me too. I think their model sort of suffers. I mean, we say suffers um, and we complain about it, but they're making millions of pounds uh, so I've done this, I've done this, had this conversation loads with people about secret cinema and going, well, what they do wrong, you know what they do wrong? They make millions of pounds. They make millions of pounds. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we say again, well, this could have been better. I mean, they're, 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 their biggest problem is they, obviously they get so many people in, you only yeah. have so many actors. Um, I always find it frustrating. You can't hear what people are saying. They don't yeah. mind half of them up. You, you need to be really close and you're catching bits of things that you recognize from the thing that you're seeing. I, I saw Blade Runner and I saw Stranger Things. Oh. Um, and there's a couple of bits of, uh, Blade Runner was, the, the immersion was wonderful and the, the budget spent on the set is wonderful. But I think it brings up the, in my mind, what I find is the stark difference between immersive and interactive. And I think those two are vastly, vastly different. And people go into these things thinking, mm. this is interactive. And you go, no, it's immersive. It happens all around you. You can, you can sort of chat to some of the actors. You have zero influence over what's happening. You know, and that's where I think the gamification of it helps to bridge that gap. And if there's a game involved, it allows the player to suddenly, oh, I have a, I have a stake in this. If I do this, this will mm -hmm. happen. If I do this, something else will happen. And we can split the pathways and I'll have missed out on a whole ton of stuff that could have happened, but I decided this. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, the, the extra stages come in. And it's like, that's where Secret Cinema are going wrong. It's not, but you know, it's uh, that's, <laughs> they don't have the infrastructure for it. It would be impossible to have thousands yeah. of people and, and have that work cohesively. I think they do a very, very good job given that they, you know, pack people in like sardines and mm. <laughs> charge them. I, I think they could actually, um, I mean, if, if they wanted to make some tweaks, they could deliver an interactive experience. Um, and sure, making money is one thing, but like once you've got the name uh, Back to the Future, you've already made millions. It's like there's, there's no job to be done there, really. Uh, I say that, but it's like um, it, they do a great job at immersive theatre, like you say, Paul. Yeah, it's it's having it's also the, the labor terms for the actors as well having the amount of actors working mm. to such a level and i know for, uh, a lot of friends of mine work for them um, mm. and they have improved their standards and improved their pay uh, of late so they uh, they do offer like um physio and uh, they do take care of people better and they have more stand-ins so that because you know you're on like a six-month contract and it's six days a week and you're just carting there and doing like long long hours in character shouting big high energy you know and you just get fatigued and you just get sick uh, mm. and so they're getting much better at sort of managing that and i think it's an awful lot of hard work and then we're gonna go and then we're gonna make it interactive so that yeah you've got to keep up with this and let everybody else know that they've decided b instead of a and yeah i think it'd be it'd be unless it's your focus i don't think you can just tack it on it's one of these things that people think, oh, we can just tack on immersive, we can just tack on interactive, and it just, it can't be. It has to be the core of the thing, and yeah. then the rest of it is the fluff, you know? Because you can, if, if you've got a good game mechanic, it could be 
zombies or it could be pirates or it could be spaceships or it could be the mechanic is the the good bit yeah i agree i think the mechanic is 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 what's central especially to interactive and to anything gamified but i think what secret cinema's draw is is the ip yeah oh, first and foremost people want to step inside how that looks i think and i i guess most of the people i find that criticize it including myself actually just have maybe slightly different expectations because we want to play yeah and i don't think it has it's not that kind of playground <laughs> great i think it's, it does wonders because it creates obviously everyone wants to go to secret cinema it's got vast wide appeal and then people get there and have a wonderful time and go oh my god it's amazing they saw the actor and it was great uh, and then but it does create this other reaction in some people are going oh i wish there was something more and then you're <laughs> great because there's a whole bunch of other companies out there buck buck included you know who have created that more and if you want to come and do things that have clues and cohesion and a thing and you can interact we, it might not be the IP, but, you know, there'll be no IP to it, but mm -hmm. you get to make a decision and it's a, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's about audience expectation a lot of the time. And, and also, I mean, I'm not going to say too much because I've been wrangling with this for years now. Um, I'm trying to write my monograph on, on the problematics of calling everything a massive theatre. Mm. It is in itself, I think, a, a problem and a, a difficulty. And uh, I think that's tied into expectations. But again, academically, I don't really want to kind of dig into that so I'm going to come back to how did Buck Buck actually kind of come into the world how was it birthed back in was it 2014? It was uh, 2014 when I left advertising and started to toy with actually I went on a holiday with my friend who had just had some terrible news with um, various personal problems. We went off to, uh, I was like, where do you want to go? Let's just go somewhere. We went to Thailand, and his choice, <laughs> not mine. But um, we ended up trying this thing called an escape room, which no one knew at the time. And um, we went into this room, and I remember playing on this little dinky um, xylophone, according to the notes I was hearing through the, the speakers. And I was like, wait, this is pretty cool this is like an immersive thing we have full agency over what's happening and there's a clue an audio clue and then i'm thinking with with my audio uh, sound composition background this could be so much better because we used to create characters in comedy shows i was like what if there was a voice in the room like a ghost what if it was what if it was telling us what to do in the same way that these notes are doing that so then um, came about uh, Lady Chastity's Reserve, which was my first escape room uh, experience, uh, and a company to go with that, which I started uh, creating the game itself. And then the company came out. Um, I got some help from this uh, from my business partner, um, and we created another game called Popper Plock's Wonky Workshop. It's about a mad. Um, toy maker game with this ventriloquist dummy in the room. So it's a lot about the audio, uh, the, these characters coming alive uh, with these disembodied voices, uh, entertaining people at the same time as giving them clues. Because a lot of the time, the themes for these sort of things are very much like, you are a secret agent on a mission to do, 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 do. And it's like, it's so samey, samey Sherlock Holmes, so-and-so is under attack. And, so trying to bring this sort of different edge to something a bit more gritty and funny 
actually have some fun. Um, you're here to mm -hmm. play. How do we evoke play? Well, then we bring people back into their childlike selves uh, um, through triggers. Um, uh, anyway, that, that company, uh, I'm going to say that just went away. That was like my training ground, <laughs> both in business and in, um, uh, in immersive the potential of immersive theater what came about through that were the hosts for these escape rooms these amazing people who would uh, bring theater mm. to each and every experience and i was like these this is much better human interaction at this at the time when everyone's going what can i make on vr what can i and even even the councils are aiming at that everyone's like trying to uh, they're, they're so obsessed with the replication of humans that they forget yeah. about the fucking humans in the first place and how great <laughs> these people are. So, yeah, I start to like create this game with four people in it um, called The Hunt for the Smoking Caterpillar, all under a sort of the guise of New Wonderland has been taken over by a baron who uh, represents the patriarchy and wonderland is now sort of like in this sort of like hold of of the baron uh who, who paul plays and uh uh these great um people like these like utilizing the power of humans to tell a story um in this wonderful wonderful world of immersive or interactive theater and there's no other storytelling like that much better than a book better than a film better than any other type of story even a, like a computer game was was quite a good way of sort of telling a story mm -hmm. but now like vr you're kind of there but it's a bit sweaty around the eyes and you can't do it for too long but actually just going there and creating this world and having people live in it and learn in it it's a great opportunity to to push out a story and um have fun. Yeah, the, well, great, sorry. the, great, thing about, the great thing about the Smoking Caterpillar is that it sort of, um, it had a foot in each world. So it was sort of part escape room, part immersive theatre, and it, it never sort of lent too heavily on either one. And as a, as a participant, you go along and you, you watch people who come and play and they'd like, oh, I'm just here for a laugh with my mates. I didn't expect to want to talk to an actor. And again, that's fine. There's a puzzle box down there. You just go and sit and that. And they're like, oh, okay, go do a puzzle box. And there's some people come in and they don't care about the puzzles. And they're like, who are you then? And, you know, so that it sort of caters for both. And, uh, and, you know, people fit in between the two. And so it satisfies, it satisfies sort of both ends of it. So, because escape rooms are sort of, again, another wonderful area of where we both sort of worked in and, and done uh, various projects in. But they sort of tend to fall short in, in the sense that you, you can't throw too many humans at them. It does, it's not cost effective to have mm -hmm. too, many, too much theatricality to it. And so you do end up going, okay, I've seen a lot of these puzzles before. There are only so many types of puzzles. Um, and again, it, a lot of the storytelling involved with it is very much, the world will end unless you and your idiot friends can open this padlock. <laughs> and it, it just doesn't quite ring true. And so, yeah, the, the smoking caterpillar doesn't, have to overreach with like we have the best puzzle you've never seen they're just very nice standard lovely wooden car uh, carving carved boxes uh, with some lovely little inventive things in them without without trying to reinvent the wheel um, mm. and you have this wonderful story and these four actors around who again just keep the whole thing going and keep the whole energy up and 
there's uh, it's wonderful so it's an hour and 10 minutes or something and then it just never lulls because it's you've always got something to, some buoyancy to it there's no like people get oh i can't do this box so, well talk to the character and you might get a clue mm-hmm. you know <laughs> so there's always something to do it's great there's a whole economy as well in in the game that mm. people can buy certain things to to purchase something which they might need to give to that person over there which may then unlock this box down here or begin a sort of it might kick off the beauty contest for example where everyone suddenly gets pulled in and has to prance around well, it's, um, yeah it's games have you got like fake currency which is uh, immersive theater lubricant just yeah. great and and then secret objective cards which is straight out of a board game and you're like going oh this character's giving me this secret objective card that i have and no one else has and mm-hmm. if i create if i can help this scenario or if i do this during this scenario i'll be rewarded um yeah it's wonderful it's it's sort of so it keeps it keeps things nice and simple and and it, and it did and it delivers it was uh, yeah um and it was it was crucially four stops on the bus from my house in terms of a part-time job i couldn't have asked for anything more <laughs> And I think people, uh, we have very few opportunities, I think, in, in adulthood to have permission to play mm. and, and to be kind of more than ourselves or a slightly different version of ourselves. And I think the tactileness, I think, of, of, of the worlds that are built for these things give a playground to be able to sort of do that, especially then when there's a mechanic. Because I think there's a lot of anxiety. Um, I mean, I'm... I'm I don't know whether I'm the best or the worst audience type, but I'm so game. So I'm just like, I'm in there. I'm going to rummage and stuff. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to look for clues and I'm going to try and kind of just jump in two feet. But I know that a lot of people get really anxious because the normal rules don't count. And and I found that it's mostly a lot of traditional theatre. People get even more anxious because unless that mechanic is kind of very clear and drives them and gives them a very clear sense of what, why am I here? What am I doing here? I think a lot of people get very anxious about that, but all the best things I've been to dissolve that, you know, within 30 seconds of being in that space. And it's often, like you said, it's down to the mechanic, but also the bodies in the room. It's down to that facilitator, that performer, or performers to kind of draw you in and make you comfortable quickly and yeah. give you a sense of what the, the rules are in this new world. Mm. And um, I, I was going to kind of ask you a bit more, actually, kind of where do you... Where do you start? Do you start with the narrative? Do you start with um, kind of, especially if you're dealing with Alice, do you start with the IP or do you start with what do we want people to do in this space? So where do you kind of begin when you start putting it together? And there's, um, well, coming from an advertising background, it's, uh, I'm very interested in what people uh, will uh, buy into up front like where where's the trend at what's going on where what are people into and can we create something that takes that and then gives them something more even more than what they were expecting um with the hunt for the smoking caterpillar it's very obviously an alice in wonderland game it's sort of that came about due to the character of the little caterpillar who's actually the worm from labyrinth so it's taking all of these uh, recognizable, what we call borrowed interest um, areas where people can recognize that. And actually that helps put them in their childlike self. 
uh, already. The Baron, who you meet first off when you're talking about the instructions, is purposely uh, a suited um, a patriarchal figure, not necessarily male, but patriarchal, with um, uh, a, a cane and a blackboard. Now, and he also tells people to sit down and stand up on, on command. Um, now, that's a teacher, right? I mean, you're being put back into your teachers and they, you can see the audience change. They suddenly become very submissive and childlike in that, just in the first five minutes. Um, so there's a lot of psycho psychology going on and, and philosophy about play and gameplay. And uh, yeah, you would, you would hate the smoking caterpillar because <laughs> the philosophy is, uh, why, why are we here? Um, and then it takes to that whole sort of concept of like, why are we here actually, like as in life? And plays with that. I can't really tell you too much about it, but yeah, everyone's like looking for the, the, the smoking caterpillar. Then they're hunting for gold and they think they're on this sort of, uh, who's got the most gold sort of thing. And they're told to bid, bribe, barter, blackmail and get the most. And we try to, with all the games that, we create, we're trying to sort of say something about life and, and the real world and sub, subvert it a bit, um, mm -hmm. be subversive in, in, in the play itself. And so when people come away afterwards, they've got something to think about and, and, and talk about and amuse over a bit more. Mm -hmm. The same way that they would if after a good film, you know, it's like, oh shit, I, I want to, I really need to confirm my my beliefs. What I thought was real is now I'm, I'm not sure about it. But we just want to fuck with people's heads a bit. <laughs> I think some of the best moments I've had have been in the bars kind of afterwards. It's that excitement of talking to others who've just been through kind of the same world and, you know, listening to what they've been doing or if they've done something different and swapping stories and swapping secrets. And I think secrets are... Uh, a really central part of this and every single person I speak to says I'm going to tell you a little bit about it but I can't really tell you about it because we're still doing it or we still do it or we still want people to come and I think secrets um, are also something that's exciting and lots of things I've been to have said you know don't share on social media don't share these things once you step outside of this kind of world and I, again I think that's part of the appeal isn't it of that sort of playfulness but also that kind of there's an agency to keeping a secret yeah 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 you're privy to something that not everyone else has seen. And that's key to the immersive theater as well. I think it's like you should be, or you should have had a different experience to the other people who've gone as well. You're going, Oh, I've missed. I, I didn't see that at all. Oh, I missed that. I was busy doing this other thing. Oh, did I miss out? Technically not. I did this. So yeah, there's, yeah. So you get to chat with your friends afterwards and go, Oh wow. What did, what happened to you? You know, like split up or whatever, or, um, mm thinking about sort of bigger, bigger uh, installations, more, maybe more than, uh, than uh, Smoking Caterpillar. But I, d I don't know, for me, I think it's, it, there's a mixture of things, sadly, because of the world we live in, you, <laughs> most of the time you sort of design it, like, like Ben says, around what's going to sell? What do people like? And it's weird, it's like uh, when I started at um, uh, the Smoking Caterpillar, I'd literally just come off of uh, a previous, or uh, I was going to do another immersive theatre thing in London to do with Alice in Wonderland, that also had gin. Uh, that was, and it, I, I, it wasn't. It wasn't for me. The project was, uh, was, without wanting to say too much, was not 
not going to be the, the kind. It wasn't up to wasn't up to snuff. So I thought, I, you know, he just he was staring down the barrel, going, "Oh, this has got two months of the actors making this work written all over it." Yeah. Uh, so I was like, "No, I'm all right, thanks." Uh, and then, yeah, so it, it, weirdly, yeah, in London, uh, stuff with Gin, stuff with Alice in Wonderland, that really sounds really well. Um, the, you know, after the Peaky Blinders festival we did last year, there's a pop-up Peaky Blinders bar that's turned up, run by a company. Uh, it was owned by one of the guys who did. He didn't run the Peaky Blinders Festival. He just was like me and Ben. He was just a freelance actor in it. They went, this will work as a pop-up. And it did. Um, so there's a bit of that. Again, the space as well. Again, if you're given if you're given money's no object, you don't have to make any money. You can have as much space as you want, whatever you want. I mean, I would definitely just start with like, what's the coolest game mechanic? And then build around that. But a lot of the times you're running, you're working to a brief to a client's budget to you know, an expectation that is needed to uh, be put over or to an IP that you, you suddenly have parameters you have to work out and worry about. Um, so yeah, it's, it seems like there's a lot of freedom, but generally, usually there's not. Um, but yeah, I don't know, yeah, for me, I'd be like, I definitely wanna have these three core mechanics. I definitely wanna have tiers of characters. Um, so I often find with, with immersive stuff as well, it's very silly. It's very gamey. If you want to do anything serious, you need to have you need to have a stack of things so that you know, characters at high status can be serious. But you need characters below them, giving them that status and giving them the space and giving everybody else the opportunity to giggle and laugh and be silly and you know be mm. idiots. And so you have two or three tiers of that before you can have characters who just come out and are like. This is the most important thing. Otherwise, it's laughable. Yeah. Just, yeah. You're sort of like, what are you doing? <laughs> you, you, you know, you, you get heckled and like, you need, if you've got 20 other characters going, oh, God, bowing down and bowing and scraping, then it, it sells it and it works. And I, I, you know, ideally I'd have, yeah, 100 actors and uh, space to roam and factions and money and <laughs> all sorts of everything. Anything you can think of, games, gambling, intrigue betrayal all the things you just uh, toss them all in there the, the, the lot the lot the job lot. Funny. the 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 um the money side of thing like you mentioned at the start it's not just an immersive theater uh, industry thing it's a uh, every new person a new entrepreneurial business or whatever it is really just i just need money i need money. and i'm a bit like well, do you really? Because I like to think that we can create ways around that where it's, it's not necessarily all about the money. It's about the, uh, the want to play. And if you look at Caterpillars, it's, it's essentially, it's a sort of very, it's a, it's a script uh, which allows for improv and uh, costume and props uh, in, in a pop-up sort of space. It cost a bit, but not nothing in comparison to the budgets that um, uh, Punch Drunk or, or your, your, your big sort of like, let's, let's build a sort of great big sort of space. So that was kind of the challenge of, of uh, these pop-up games and is the challenge of these pop-up games is to create something where people do feel as immersed as they would in a, a boomtown sort of uh, area um, by having a very sort of um, addictive uh, core of play 
um, a, a line of to go to a target and these uh, very intriguing characters along the way. I know that when you're eye to eye with Paul, like any sort of telling you something and feeding back or any of the great uh, actors in, in the game, that that's the immersion right there is, is this human interaction. You don't stop and look around at the sort of state of the walls and start touching the sort of the, the framing on the door and think, oh, that's pretty realistic. If anything, you don't really want to be put off by that. You just want to accept if, if you've got a, like, a little bit of imagination around you, you can, you can get immersed in, in that person. I agree. I think interactions and, and those moments people have huge capacity to build in their imaginations and to buy into something when there's a, a, a draw or an invitation or a good reason to. Mm. That, that's what it, I found. So, so it does depend on uh, the scenario as well. Like this, obviously, it's easier to do because, um, again, like you say, budget is if budget is tight, it's easier to do something where oh, there's an abundance of this. We'll have a post-apocalyptic world. It's made of junk, you know, because <laughs> junk is cheap. Uh, when you go, it's a spaceship. It's a really posh spaceship. You're like, oh, okay, well, we're gonna. It can't be the top room of a pub then. <laughs> <laughs> or you know, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to make it look like a bus spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it depends. I mean, it, I mean, you sort of you end up writing to budget, don't you? You just you, you suddenly go, okay, well, we're going to discuss this posh spaceship, and maybe we can set it in the top room above a pub. Uh, <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Or like you know, you sort of no, and it's not a compromise. It, 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 you know, it doesn't it doesn't need to be a compromise. But I guess if you are, yeah, if you're wanting to do something that is a bit more uh yeah you need to spend you know it, it's obviously it's better to have a bit of money to spend on your set and whatever um mm -hmm. but then then that's why uh but you know ben, but ben's right exactly it, the, it doesn't matter the immersion is always going to be there and i don't think i don't think pe people don't seem to be getting sick of no. land and gin and uh and stuff like that so you know why, why bother with a posh spaceship who's going to go to that pub anyway <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, and I, I think people, it's people, isn't it? People are at the heart of it and it's the, it's the connections and the way that those connections are kind of framed mm. that makes something exciting and makes something memorable. And, and often I think it's better to spend your money on good actors who are used to doing this kind of work than on, yeah, a great big posh, shiny, shiny set because they won't go away necessarily remembering that, but they will remember, like you said, the moments between, mm. between people. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, if you if you are yeah yeah if your actors are good enough then then everything's gonna be fine. Uh, yeah, you, all the set in the world isn't gonna help, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt, does it? I suppose it's the it's finding that thing of like a mate. Yeah, you you sort of, you adjust your thing to your budget and you adjust your thing to your settings and whether or not you know. Ideally, we'd all have funding up the wazoo and we could just take you know big white box spaces and just make whatever we like out of them and create these entire worlds it'd be wonderful uh because also just to be able to give people the work and go i need set them bring them in i need painters designers i need you know I need actors I need directors fight coordinators let's get them all in rather than sort of like scrabbling around going you know we we need to pay the, you know and um, I, ben always does as, as well as myself when we produce stuff it's like i have to pay these actors properly because mm -hmm. that is that is the the minimum sort of line that I won't drop below. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you see, I, I worked in places where you're like going, 
oh, okay, this isn't great money, is it? And you're like, mm. <laughs> this, I've been, you know, I've been doing this seven years now. Am I still only worth that much for mm. a day's hard, you know, improving? <laughs> Do you yeah. think, because um, at the moment it's very pop-up, isn't it? Everything is always either in a, a specific space that it's been invited into or it's kind of pop-up or makeshift. Do you think we'll ever get to that point where we will have, you know, kind of like immersive receiving houses that are kind of warehouses with kind of lots that you, you book out and they do a run? Do you think we'll ever kind of maybe get to that point potentially? Maybe. I think you, I think people had sort of, they exist already to a degree and it was mm -hmm. circumstance. A lot of um, the escape rooms and uh, the pop-up environment was born out of the 2008 crash. Um, weirdly, because loads of spaces, little spaces along the high streets become available and became like, uh, we need to put something in them and they drop their prices and lo and behold, escape rooms happened. Um, yeah. But if you go down to, if you sort of leave London, you go to somewhere like Tully's Farm, uh, which used to just be pick your own fruit and veg. When I, certainly when I was a boy, uh, we went down there and, you know, you pick strawberries, put some money in the honesty box for scoffing them in the field. Uh, but now it's like it's got a huge scare maze and yeah. they do this huge thing in in Halloween times and it's a big apparently it's a big um, sort of uh, what's the word it's a trial of you know a, a bravery thing for teenagers they go in there and it's their like, like baptism of fire like you're not a, you're not a real teenager unless you've done the Tallis farm survived <laughs> it and I don't know I mean I think they, they ended up starting their own um, theatre company to recruit actors to work there so that they could, because they used to use enough of them that they just started. And, it, and again, it was just like born out of a farm that went, hey, let's have an attraction. And now it's more attractions than it is a farm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, but it all comes out of the fact that they've got the land and the space. And uh, and again, they they half of their stuff is very similar to that. Post-apocalyptic, it's made of junk. <laughs> you know what I mean? We've got shipping containers because they've got them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. <laughs> they what they got. They didn't like. They didn't wheel, wheel in a pirate ship and go right. It's it's pirate time. You know they were sensible and, and built it slowly, and and it's it's huge. Um, mm. So yeah, I think we're looking at other things like that cropping up. And yeah. I think after all of this, as as well, there's going to be potentially more opportunity and more spaces because I know it was starting to get tight and squeezed, and people were kind of cottoning onto it. Um, and prices were starting to go up, especially in London, I think, for space uh, in places that were cheap before. Um, but I think after this, maybe we're going to see the same again as we did in sort of 2008, that kind of some unusual spaces becoming available, especially on the high street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, well, I was here. yeah, I think that might be. And there was that pier. I don't know if you remember the pier at Greenwich that was supposed to become kind of like a, an immersive receiving house that was going to have lots of different kind of shows in it and as far as I'm aware it had one and then that's all I've ever heard about it. Oh. Well Greenwich is really hard to get to. <laughs> yes it is, it took yeah. forever to get there and we had to hang around for ages and there was not even anywhere to get a drink so I was like oh this is, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that is yeah, an issue with Greenwich <laughs> more than more than the idea itself I think yeah. I think it's probably one of the biggest strains on any business is, is actually the location itself and because we're all under whatever the landlord says when it, when it comes to that. And that all leads up to the government that 
friend of mine said essentially the government are landlords landlords of the landlords you know so that can change at any time and what's happened recently is like a big kick in the ass for them it's like this is great all of a sudden people could realize they can work from home which is a fantastic thing essentially for their health and like not commuting being trapped on that sort of spiky feeling of the underground getting everyone in london seems to be just going somewhere for someone else's purpose and it's kind of creates this and hopefully that will ease off after this and um mm. we're fortunately we're the way buck buckers operates is um to have pop-up shows that can be taken anywhere we focus very much on the the actors as we've got a pool of like uh, 50 to 60 actors and performers, improvisers, um, who can, uh, who are always available to play the various parts. And um, the the caterpillar get the hunt for the smoking caterpillar is has four four main characters, but everyone takes it in turns to play different parts. I think Paul's probably played three or four different characters. And, oh, there's a core group of people who play different ones but then every now and then we'll bring in a co comedian or an improviser who'll just like have a go at it to to sort of every everyone learns from everyone else and, and it's a great to be able to um provide a, a sort of very vet such a variant of um, performance for the actors as well as this the necessity of getting paid of course um and then go to uh, festivals or um corporate shows or uh, various other places where we can just set it all up within a couple of hours and start playing with people. And I think that's like that's great and it's part of the the appeal of it's kind of there and then disappears and it's, again it's part of that kind of elusive secrecy I think that sort of sits around and is something that draws people in and it's nice to be able to kind of just be able to play wherever and i think you're right if you've got good people and good mechanics you can you can start something and it can just disappear as quickly as it sort of came about which i, I think I, I like the idea of that and that sort of leads me into what i wanted to ask you about because i know that you're affiliated with the one percent for the planet yeah. and have a, a sustainable ethos and i wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that it's uh i like to think <laughs> <laughs> that the world I've got this image of, of the world in my head where if you imagine like on one side of the world there's a digger going in chunk taking a chunk out and then that goes that chunk goes to a factory and gets made into certain things and then dumped off to another sort of factory where it gets packaged up over other things dug out of the earth and then that thing gets carried across to another part of the world and sent out to shops and then all those various shops take the thing and take it to houses and then it gets turned to rubbish and then eventually ends up on the other side of the world as a rubbish pile and if you imagine that keeps happening in this sort of distorted shape of world keeps like shifting across the way to stop that is generally to stop consuming so and which is something i'm really into like coming out of advertising is like actually can i give up being a consumer well yeah other than pants and socks and food yeah um, it's a case of just uh every like, there's a lot of secondhand stuff that's great like clothes and 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 all of the stuff in uh that we use is secondhand um stuff um because that's authentic as well it's real and um 
uh, it, it adds a little sort of like when you pick it up and touch it and it's heavy and it's got that sort of, it, you know, you're not, you're not like touching the, the light, um, I was going to say panto, but it's theatre sort of prop sort of stuff, mm. which acts as a visual tool when people are sat in an audience, but when they're interacting, they need to be able to pick something up and feel it as well. Yeah. So yeah, we, the, the very nature of the product in, in buying into an experience, which is all uh, packed away until brought out at the next one. It's, there's no, there's no consumption consumables, isn't it? That's what it's called in, in a business. You have, how many consumables do you have? Well, we have gin which you drink and we can't really <laughs> recycle that. Um, we haven't figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> you could use it to pickle eggs if you've got people to uh, collect it at the end. <laughs> what, their urine? We could put their urine in a... Yeah, apparently it's, it's a thing that these... these um, I, I, I like food. There's a specialist uh, thing that they do in Hong Kong, I think, and you collect the urine of uh, boys who are prepubescent in a bucket and then you pickle eggs, you leave them in their shell and everything and put them in and they're called green eggs and they turn green, but they, they do that and they look, they take a year, I think. It's not, I don't know the exact things, but yeah, you can pickle eggs with urine. <laughs> it's the long and short of it. I don't know if it has to be people who haven't reached 13 yet. Oh, all on the second wave. Uh, this is, <laughs> I've been looking for a new hobby. Uh, there we go. You just need a bucket and some eggs and yourself. <laughs> no, yeah, that is also uh, good for the planet, I guess. Using yeah, exactly. So you could, um, I don't know, find some way of, of pickling eggs and you can use them in the next show if they take a year. <laughs> it'll, definitely, it'll definitely come up in all the reviews, won't it? <laughs> that we mentioned you might be four stars five stars but at the bottom there'll be something like and then they asked us for our piss it was <laughs> but if you give them enough gin they might not remember it's true, it's true. <laughs> uh, but, yeah or be thankful of being able to nip to the loo before they have to make their way home with the lack of public toilets in most places yeah keep them in the show while they take the piss <laughs> we've got it all right here <laughs> And um, so uh, I will stop talking about urine and pickled eggs. I'm not sure anyone would want to eat them anyway. Um, so I was going to ask you as well, you have uh, links with Mind and are supporters of Mind Mental Health. And I was wondering if you could talk a bit about how how that ethos kind of embeds itself in, into the way that you design the work. It's... Um, uh, so I, I, I train with the Maydays. I do um, in, improv improvisational theatre uh, under the Maydays, totally by accident. I was working too hard on the escape rooms at the time and, and uh, had an accident, fell over in the middle of the night, banged my head and a friend said, oh, why don't you do some course? Uh, and the pottery course was full. So I did the, the, the improv course and really, really got into it. But the first thing that struck me was how many people there who were like humans who were really unsure of their full potential and yet given the opportunity to essentially play a game on a beginner's improv class you're all just playing kids games aren't you really and the amount of uh, energy and uh, you could see it in, in people's eyes they were coming out of themselves in a way that 
was extraordinary. Like they were come bringing out their own childlike self uh, in, into their adult self in a, in a sort of very like they were given permission all of a sudden to run around like a, a fucking chicken or whatever it was and cluck about. And, um, <laughs> uh, and that, that's a very freeing thing. And it seemed what is apparent and to, to me and, and probably a lot of other people is the amount of oppression that's going on in the world. Um, and has been very, very slowly creeping, creeping and creeping. And I spoke to my mum about it the other day, uh, what we call adult admin. Mm. Adult admin is at an all time high where it is actually very, very difficult to be a functioning adult. Just from just be an adult, right? There's so many different things you have to do. And in this I won't list them because they're horrible and negative and it like even saying the words is going to give off dark energy. So let's remain in fun land and talk about fun stuff. Um, that is, that is where I think it's at in the improv classes, in the uh, immersive theater, in the interactive shows, in these games in board games in anywhere where you are given permission to play and explore a, a self that, doesn't necessarily get to come out that often um, because of the other horrible stuff that's around us and we're reminded about quite a lot. Um, I, it, it, it releases us and, and I think there's a, the reason that mental health is at an all-time high is because oppression is at an all-time high. Um, the, the rules are at an all time sort of high and the expectations are at an all time high. And it's, unfortunately it's not, I don't believe it, the agenda of fixing the actual problem is, is there, but more a case of how can we make money out of it? I've got a very good friend who is, uh, works in the private sector for uh, mental health and that instead of, they make, their money by getting patients in yeah so why you know if the people at the top are making money on every single transaction that happens and, and these mm -hmm. transactions that are happening are from mental health then why stop the fucking source um now the way <laughs> we can't if we try and like dwell upon the, the problem we can also give ourselves a, a bit of a hard time and become quite sort of um at risk ourselves but what we like to do, and I think a lot of improvisers, a lot of um, immersive theatre actors, a lot of game makers, I would love to think that their spirit is in it due to releasing uh, these humans to play, just giving them permission, giving them a place to, to go out there and do it. And it certainly brings me a certain amount of joy to be able to provide that. Um, there's still a a nagging feeling of what else can we do, but sure. at least to be able to provide a little corner where they go, right, I'm going to go here and do this because fuck it, I need to just let my hair down and, and go mad for a bit and be a rabbit or be a hero of some sort. And um, well, yeah, yeah. That, that leads quite in, quite nicely into that's what that's exactly what Questiony is, yeah. is designed. It is literally an hour off or an hour and a half off your off your life, off your time. 
of like, oh, honestly, let's just get into uh, this Zoom chat uh, and we'll abandon everything we've ever known and we'll just make up some nonsense and it starts off, you know, slow and small and little things. And, and it's like, like a snowball. We'll just take a few ideas from each other and there's no wrong answers. And by the end of it, it builds into this sort of huge ball. And by the end of the hour and a half, you've sort of forgotten who you are uh, mm-hmm. and what your real life is. Uh, and you're giggling because some, something insane has happened. Um, and I, 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 having done like several hundred of, of, of that kind of show, I can't remember any of the details of any of them. But um, I'm sure <laughs> when we played the other night, something mad must have happened towards the end where you go, oh, it's, I, yeah, I, yeah uh, this. We have, we have polar bears coming back to life and, and restoring right. pretzels and firing polar you were, bears. Yeah, you were firing polar bears out of a trebuchet. It, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you're, like, you're having a lovely time and going, oh, I hope this one hits. And you know, there's stakes in it. And you're suddenly going, well, I suddenly care about this imaginary thing that didn't exist an hour ago. Uh, and yeah, and you're invested in it. And, it's, and it just should be fun. There's no, sort of, there's no moral lesson to it. There's no sort of like deeper meaning other than to just sort of switch off, have fun, let your brain just... There's as much power in uh, things like Quest, uh, Paul's show the question each in the imagination of creating a trebuchet that, that fires polar bears uh that that is as powerful as uh the potential opposite which might be a a, a letter from the council with a red red bill sort of thing mm-hmm. the the tricks the manipulation tricks that they use in that and that i understand coming from advertising how to actually get people to to activate them we can use those same things to for good, right? Mm. We, can, we can create our own version of a red letter. It's called a green letter, and it just tells you that everything's fine and you, there's nothing wrong with you. And, and fuck it, you're, you're brilliant. Just go and do what you want to do. And mm. if we can create as many of these green letters as possible through these shows like Questiony uh, or uh, Liam Fleming's new one, Bant's Quest, which takes place in a nightclub, um, it, it's all good fun, all enriching... Uh, and uh, it is healthy, it's mentally healthy. I really do, I mean, it's, there's some really good people, uh, really good humans around and uh, like the, the nurses, the doctors, the teachers, the carers, the, pe- the, 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 the people who are actually doing good things for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, on a similar level, I do like to think that uh, immersive actors and, and improvisers are great on that front as well in terms of bringing people into the realm of play it's well, the- i think actor is 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 not it is a term that maybe I and mean, that's academics jobs that's my job to think about what it might mean but actors in immersive theater are so much more <laughs> so much more and i, I have to teach i teach it i try and teach it and teaching some of those skills is uh, is quite challenging because you are teaching people to be humane uh in in some ways but also to be to be welcoming and to be a host and to to be able to read someone else and respond to someone else with a a genuineness um and oddly that's quite difficult to teach in a formal setting anyway for sure paul go on you wanted to jump in as as one of those more than (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah 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 it it, it, it leads that sort of point of like going i as far as 
the status quo is concerned, that you can get all of your art and all of your, that intake from just watching Netflix. And I just don't think it's true. Uh, and like as much as I like binge watching a, a series or two uh, and watching movies and whatever and playing video games, there's still there's something about that sort of one on one interaction, the, the the changeability of it or the, you know, the, the, the live interaction that we, you just you can't replicate. Uh, and there is there is a fundamental difference in people who just consume art through a screen uh, compared to, you know, passively um, rather than sort of seeking out sort of live things or, or something that's interactive. Um, and, and like I said, and I think especially because this, uh, obviously the question used to be a live show and we've sort of converted it to, to work in Zoom because of, you know, in, literally in a reaction to, to, to lockdown because uh, otherwise there'd be no need to. We'd just have people turn up. <laughs> you know, you, you just wouldn't, wouldn't have done it. Um, but I think it's been incredibly beneficial for the people who play and it, it really scratches a niche that is out there and that people are separated and people are you know even though you can get on a zoom there's only two there's only two conversations to be had currently and we're bored of them I'm, I'm certainly bored of them and so to yeah. have an excuse to get on zoom and have something else to do and something else to talk about at the very least is just really, you know, re a release and relieving. And yeah, there's certain tricks that, we, that, that, that uh, Ben was talking about, that just the, the switching off of your brain and letting it do a thing rather than making it do a thing. Uh, um, I, I find very, very useful. I've, I've even found it working in, um, in dexterity games. If I have to throw a thing at another thing that's quite close, I try and turn my brain off or turn, turn my consciousness off because I'm rubbish at throwing. My brain on the other hand, brilliant. Uh, and it will tell my arm what to do if as long as I don't interfere yes. <laughs> there's a sort of, you know what I mean there's a sort of auto yeah. automated bit of you that if you if you can if you learn to take away the you know the worry about oh if I say the wrong thing if I you know if I get the is mm -hmm. the idea gonna be good enough if you forget about that the stuff that pours out of your head is genuinely great fun and you know you end up with polar bears and a trebuchet and well, this is what people don't realize. Mostly actor training uh, and performer training is about just getting you to be present and not let your brain interfere mm. with your kind of your physicality and your instincts and your impulses. And we spend, you know, three years really teaching people to not be risk adverse and, and to do exactly that, to, 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 to quiet that busy conscious brain so that you can be more responsive and be more in the moment and I think these games do that very swiftly I think for people who don't have three years of, mm. of actor training because you know that's our goal that's what we do mm. um do you find that because I find that um, my students for example are extremely risk adverse and I don't blame them it's everything to do with the schooling and the education system and all of the, the things that you were talking about Ben this pressure of adulting is enormous and vast on them and it takes us a long time to sort of persuade them to take risks and to jump in but I think the great thing about what we do is you can get someone to do that within a few minutes. Mm. Mm. Uh, the people here aren't worried about the the meta of the the school obviously the kids are always like if I do something stupid in class that can affect the rest of my year and everyone will hear about it. Yeah. Uh, the goal of that to sort of, and I, I feel for them, that's, that's really, you know, that is there. Um, 
But the, the way about, I think adding a game element really helps because you go, it's not just anything, there are parameters and you need to get this person to be between these two lines. And they can be anywhere they like between those two lines, but they have, you have to get them in there and you have to keep them in there. And that's, mm-hmm. and that you can do that carrot and stick, carrot and stick, you know, and uh, status I find is like a very, it becomes a very changeable gauge, especially when I'm doing immersive stuff. My default is to sort of hit in the middle where I'm as the Baron, for instance, will be an authoritative figure who can tell people what to do, but he's also an idiot who can make a fool of himself. So it, it, depending on the, because members of the public are very strange and very different and very changeable and very, you know, they come in different shapes and sizes and they respond to different things. And certain like alpha males don't particularly like being bossed around, but can be fooled into doing something if it's like, ah, come on, I'm the idiot. Come on, help me out. You know, and you know, we, you know, you can alleviate any sense of conflict that might arise and you can take people who are not used to this sort of situation and sort of like you look as if you're going to go butt up against them and they come towards you and then you just drift off and they sort of they before they know it they're in between the two lines and they're playing and they're in and yes i've got you <laughs> yeah, that's that's my trick i've got you <laughs> uh, or or you know because some people are, uh, will like you say you turn into a teacher and you're like everybody stand over there and like most people will go over there um, yeah most people are very well behaved like and, and and quite submissive i found in most immersive right from sort of one-on-one stuff all the way up to kind of punch drunk people tend to sort of do what you expect them to i mean there's always the outliers and that's what i was going to ask you about as well there's always uh people doing not the majority majority of people tend to tend to you know if you say sit there we'll, we'll sit there but then you do have other people who will do things you could not possibly have imagined they <laughs> might choose to do and I think that's more difficult in a physical space have you had that have you had experience of kind of people doing things that sort of push it breaking the mechanic or push it breaking the games have you had much experience of that happening there's all yeah I think there's always people who do try and break the game but I always tend to make that's why the the like I said about the status thing is about it's a little bit like the the, the sort of Bruce Lee philosophy of being like water you can't be, I can't be broken. You can't break this. You can't break the game. You can go over there. You can, if you don't want to go over there with everyone else, that is fine. I will, I will make an example of this. This is great. You know, I, I'm, I'm up for this. Uh, and as long as it's done positively and you don't, you know, humiliate somebody or humiliate them a little bit because some people will react to that because yes. <laughs> the last resort, the last resort you pull out the meta and going, here's a person like you've all paid your money and one person decided you're going to pay 20 quid to stand there. Well done. Good life choices. Uh, uh, and you sort of like the, the threat of exclusion suddenly makes them go, oh, all right then, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can sort of just like, come on, get in there. Yeah, have fun. And usually I find the people, it's weird as well, the people who have tried to be averse to it or, or, or push against it ultimately end up having the most fun. They do want to. There's just something inside them that's holding them back. And you mm-hmm. sort of just have to forgive that little thing inside them. Find that thing that it is and go, it's all right, or, you know, it, it, it allow them to, allow them to have their little moment, their little, little thing, and usually, mm-hmm. that's all it is, and if someone's that, that bothered, like, just get rid of them, like, <laughs> you know, safety first, isn't it, the actors come first, that's everyone's, everyone's got to be in a yeah. nice environment, as soon as anyone's, you know, I very, very rarely, and I think partly because I'm a man as well, I've not suffered anyone coming in and being a complete, you know, being horrible, or being pansy, or being, you know, distasteful and do you think that's because you do much more kind of bespoke 
projects because I know that um, in large scale things, for example, like Secret Cinema Punch Drunk, people get dragged along as part of larger groups mm. who don't know what's going on, who aren't necessarily have chosen to do that. But do you find that people have much more chosen to engage with your work? No, the it were sort of the, the demographics that I certainly aim at are nerds and on the whole nice nerds uh, and wouldn't dream of being you know horrible that's not to say that all of them are perfectly lovely there are always you know uh, horrible people there <laughs> but I think yeah there's a massive difference between the, the audience that comes as the nightmare and the people who went to the Wolf of Wall Street immersive you know experience and you're like yeah of course if you you as the the show sets an example and sets the precedent and the rhetoric and the mood in the room and it's very easy to spot somebody rubbing against that and being like oh you are you're just deliberately being destructive you're a chaotic person we can deal with that but when the show itself is like this is chaos this is rule breaking this is lewd this is misogyny you, you can't blame the audience for following suits that's you know that's to me short-sighted and it puts people in a vulnerable position which sadly that doesn't even need to happen for some people to step out of line the amount of jobs i've done with where the female actors have complained that they've been uh basically sexually assaulted or touched or had comments or had and, and not felt not felt uh supported enough to be able to just go get out get rid of them mm -hmm. which for me is like that should be literally number one <laughs> yeah well i think that's one of the positive things that might come out of covid because people are genuinely having to consider safety in, mm. in a broader sense i've been to quite a few different discussions on zoom <laughs> that actually i think people are having to consider it much more and there is a lot more talk about how do we make sure that we're sharing you know best practice in terms of safeguarding because i know it was becoming it was coming to a head i think before covid I think actors were starting to say, actually, I'm not happy with being grabbed or assaulted or abused in this situation. And I think moving forward, as an, and I think the issue that we have is, of course, you have uh, equity for people who come from an acting background, but mm. we don't really work in those spaces all the time. And a lot of people who've come to it don't have the protection of equity in that way. And I think... Um, I'm talking to quite a few different people about it, but the possibilities of there being some some kind of unity for the pop-up immersive interactive space that can share and and encourage that in each other. Mm. That sort of because lots of us are ethical and do work mm. in those ways that really put people's safety at the heart of it, regardless of actor or audience. But there are also, like you said, lots of shows. I mean, I've been to lots of shows where I felt deeply unsafe as an audience member and seeing things I was not okay with, but not really had a way to remove myself from that and yeah. or to do anything about that. And I think it's time for those conversations, I think maybe more broadly across all of us. Yeah, I, I did a, uh, a chat recently to um, a, a university in California for who is studying experience, experience design and it was a, generally about the responsibility of storytelling. Now the storytelling is not only for the writer of the show and the creator of the show, but for the actors as well, which is why I think these immersive theatre actors are so aware and incredibly, um, oh God, I was using the word woke, but that's horrible, isn't it? Like, you can't have something that's like that. <laughs> 
so much more advanced in their thinking um, and awareness um, because they have to be. They're there one-on-one with these other people telling, like, actually they are the voice of the story uh, that's being told. So when, when you're creating a story to, if, if you have the potential to have people in a room and uh, teach them something or have them come away thinking about something, then yeah, let's talk about uh, LGBTQT or equality or uh, Black Lives Matter, all these things that are bubbling away because it's interesting and it's exciting. And, it, and, it, um, and if, if you can learn from it, I mean, learn it, change, which I believe is happening all the time. We're a part of that change and I'm even philosophizing over whether identity is a good thing because <laughs> true happiness I believe comes from actually not having an identity from actually just accepting that we are constantly changing and if if we can invite people into our spaces and, and create safe spaces for them to play and explore uh, the potential of, of challenging what they have thought or what they think they are uh, and invite them to to change uh not not necessarily in a serious way like we what we do is sometimes we put a blonde wig on them and have a prance around in a beauty contest it's like at least that is sort of opening up some sort of challenge as to what what you know doing that it's it's not a case of like here's a man dressed as a woman that's funny uh, mm. The story is a lot deeper than that. I mean, from the outside, you could think of it like that. And that might invite some more, um, let's say, gammon-flavoured people in. <laughs> and then when they're in there and we teach them, actually, it's a, there's a bigger sort of story to tell here. Um, that, that's, a, that's a really lovely thing to, to think that we could actually be telling stories that could affect people and change people and therefore uh, help society move forward hmm. there's um, there's been a lot of work i think as well with certain companies certainly some of the ones that i've worked for are very very good at creating a safe space for the actors and a safe space for everyone else i, I a lot of the time it is weirdly it becomes it's <laughs> Sometimes it's companies that you go, you've never really needed to have to enforce this, which is wonderful, which is a great thing. Uh, and some of like the, 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 the Peaky Blinders company that we worked for last year, the, the sort of wonderful speech at the beginning of each uh, day was like the, the rules. One of the rules was the show does not have to go on if you are feeling weird or ill or funny or someone's done something to you or said something to you and you don't feel comfortable, leave, leave the space, go away, go and have... To do what you need to do take 10 minute break go and talk to someone flag it up get them kicked out whatever it is address it don't just go oh the show the show's not important you know the most important thing is how you and that's just it wasn't even like um it's not even like a, a a proper policy there wasn't anything written down it's just a thing that was communicated to everybody very simply and and you felt looked after um and that yeah you're going to be out there it's going to be like hundreds of members of the public some of them are going to be idiots most of them are dressed like gangsters, pretend, you know, pretend gangsters. <laughs> really cute in a way. It's really cute. It's all, it's all these really gruff, like, ooh, lads, lads, men, men, basically cosplaying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah basically. Yeah, you're going, you guys, you might as well be a wizard, mate. Honestly, look at yeah, it. It's basically a LARP, wasn't it? <laughs> actually having a LARP, but brilliant stuff. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's, there's ways of, do, there's, I think there's ways of doing that. And, and yeah, and then it's, 
I guess the difference between uh, doing something that's sort of purely for entertainment value, like secret cinema or an IP based thing, or getting, dare we say, into the realms of proper theatre where people come away and go, oh, really? Oh, yeah, a thing. Uh, and yeah, that would be, that would be, that'd be what a gift that would be. Because at the minute, like we said before earlier, it's like a lot of the, the initial decisions are about what will sell tickets. It's like, would you like to be, do you want us to tell you all about the quality? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know who's going to buy tickets for it. <laughs> I, I actually had a moment at the Peaky Blinders thing where I, I was a brummy Peaky, Peaky Blinders. I was, think I was one of the more sort of, I was a Peaky Blinder, but the uncool something or other. Hmm. I was a less serious one, a bit more chirpy and... Uh, not not taken so seriously, which gave agency to sort of joke around and be a bit mighty with people. Here we go. Someone, um, a, some old guy came up to me and was like one on one chatting and and asked me if I was an actor. You don't drop character; you just keep going. But then um, after a while, the conversation started to get into it's not how it used to be, and I was a bit like, oh god, I think we're going into territory here, which I'm a bit like. Oh, and then he started showing me his tattoos on his chest and uh, <laughs> slowly trying to work out a way of do I sort of like use an excuse and leave or do I see this as an opportunity to potentially try and feed this person a little bit of enlightening information about change is good mm -hmm. um, it was a very interesting thing because he didn't know I was an actor. He, he was supposed to kind of blend in anyway. It was, it was great. It was a great opportunity. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, there is a bit of like pressure in feeling like you've got to use this opportunity to change someone as opposed to I'm, I'm here for a job. Like, this is not my job. It's like, so yeah, there is a bit of like sway there as to what we can do and what we, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. Well, I think, like you said before, I think play um, is transformational. It's it's how we, oh, what is it, forced entertainment say? I can't remember the exact quote that Tim Etchell says, but it's something about um, play is always thinking about possibility and thinking about death. <laughs> and and that, that sounds uh, morbid, but it's it's kind of, it's not. It's playing with that idea. I think what he means is is of, of, of being reflective on who we are, um, but also what could we be and what could the possibilities be, possible futures be, what could the possible us be, what could possible everything be and I think play opens up that radical space and it, like you said even if it's a small change in maybe how you you do something that you didn't think you were capable of or that you didn't think was something that was you that that is transformational as well but it's done through fun and I, I think that's kind of the key yeah children always play with things that scare them that's what too much was said children play with things that scare them and I think as adults, we are very tentative to play with anything that scares us. Yeah. I, I was finding those situations that, um, like you brought up, Ben, I didn't find anything at the Peaky Blinders one. I When I was working at the Crystal Maze, though, you get in, because you get in basically the same eight people, not the same eight people, but groups of eight people will come in and you do get like, we're a group from work. We're a group of family we're a group of friends on a stag dig. We're, you know, it's the, you get the same sort of groups and there are ways of getting, you know, you can tell from the offset if you can have a group who are a little bit like, uh, this is going to be hard work. You're not here to, you're here to win. Winning's important. And you're like, you have ruined, you, you're going to ruin your own day. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> like just through your own stupid attitude and, and like and it's there's it's not an important again, th thing that you can teach that, that it'd be good to allow the kids to realize that there are once you get very experienced at this there are ways that you can go in and basically almost sabotage your relationship with these people initially only to, to give yourself a place to to build it back up to mm. like, like for example you got like a, a mixed group come in you go oh who's going to be the captain and the bloke steps forward oh i'm oh, captain oh great P perfect a another white male leader <laughs> it's all we need it worked so well so far and as long as, you're, as long as you're sort of like just on the cusp of sarcasm like you've said what you've said is in complete support of this it's just the way you've said it it's a little bit like oh mm -hmm. good uh, and it it sort of yeah it sort of knocks people a little bit off their perch and but they can't go hey you're being an arsehole <laughs> yeah no i think uh, well, we'll see. We'll see how good a captain you are. Come on. You know, you challenge them to be better. You mm -hmm. can, uh, and, and even if they start off going, well, I'm, you know, well, I'm not sure if this guy's nice, you know, this, I'm going to enjoy this guy. You've got an hour and a half to win them back, mm -hmm. which invariably, you know, you can because you've got time to put them through their games or whatever. Um, you know, you've got that time, basically the, the time of changing an attitude from one place to another. You know, it's what you're doing is, is they're coming in going, we're looking for a good time. And by the end of it, they've gone, we've had a good time. And whether or not you, how responsible you've been for that is, you know, is up to you. And I think it's like a lot of things, isn't it? You kind of get out what you put in, mm. in immersive and interactive work, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what you put in will impact on your own experience and I think people who go a lot kind of know that but I think uh, it depends on the context doesn't it Cause like I said sometimes it's people being dragged on by the people who who don't really have an interest in it and who are just kind of there incidentally through work things or through friends um, and then obviously you have a completely different audience of people who seek it out. <laughs> yeah I mean the, some of the worst ones I've done are sort of just this sort of commercially based uh, you know promotional work where you're effectively on a conveyor belt and every 10 minutes a new group of people come in and you have the same interaction with them. Yeah. Uh, and there are some people who are just not interested at that point. Like, so I'm going to leave, mate. I'm going to leave, uh, you know. Uh, and again, that's where that sort of like playing the the two sides of the, the status coin works because you're like, oh, well, I'm in charge. You can't, you can't leave. Look, it's just, it's only going to take a minute. Look, we'll just have a little 20 minute monologue yeah, and you just confirm their worst fears. And like, just like, you're going to come in here and go, oh, I don't want to be here. I'm going to tell you it's going to be the worst thing you've ever had and watch everyone else laugh at you because now we're laughing, and laughing at your misfortune. And it's like, until your attitude sort of improves, like if, even if it doesn't, everyone else has had a laugh at your expense and this has been great. <laughs> and they've had a nice time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and my day isn't ruined either. Uh, so, <laughs> Because that, you know, if you're doing the same thing after every 10 minutes, it can get into you, you know, it can start working on your mental health a bit. Uh, so I try to avoid those jobs anymore. Obviously, I um, was very fortunate to uh, do Crestony, which was a lot of fun. How different has it been, is, is the experience on Zoom to doing it kind of in sort of like a real life in, in inverted commas? IRL. Um, yeah, very different. Um, it's had to adapt and is still adapting uh, to life on Zoom. Um, I think we were talking earlier, actually, like the, the whole stuff at the beginning, it takes sort of like 15, 20 minutes to build the game. Mm -hmm. uh, in a live scenario, 
I've got five minutes to warm the crowd up. I get people up out of the crowd. They're, they're not actors. They're just members of the public. They're in front of people. They might have never got on stage before. They might have never played a role-playing game before. And I have to give them enough time to get used to where they're sitting, the, the, the view of the crowd in front of them. And, and so I built up all this rapport and all this sort of like repartee. And I go through it before I eventually sort of ask them to speak and make a decision in front of a hundred people. Uh, that they are then going to live with for the next hour. And it, it's, it was, you know, it took, you know, I built it up over uh, for an Edinburgh Fringe in 2016 and done it like, seven, you know, since then, basically. Um, and so that is tailor-made for getting people who've never been in front of an audience, never played a role-playing game, to be comfortable enough to do both of those things in that time. And now we're on Zoom and it's just five people in their house. And you're like, you're in your house, you're ready to talk. We need to find a way to get, chop through what was before the you know the thing and like so it's, it is becoming uh very different it is very different there's no you know there's no applause break and <laughs> yeah there's some the, 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 there are certain advantages like it's really nice having like um having all that attention to five people is 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 great it's a much better sort of in a way a much more intimate uh, uh mm. experience um i've never i haven't played as much uh D and D since until lockdown. Like I play more role play games now that this is this is how we communicate than I ever did, um, and it's it's the one thing that I find really works on Zoom is having having a nice role play game. So so yeah, it's been it's been very rewarding, um, if very different. And obviously, you know, as a performer, we are all missing the crowds. But this is, I, I, yeah, I saw some friends recently who are all immersive theatre and comedy performers and they haven't got anything. They're sort of like doing workshops or working on doing a thing, but they've not got shows. And, not got, and I had to leave the thing earlier, like, oh, I've got to go and do this, go and do a show. It's a shame because I haven't seen everyone for ages. And they're like, don't complain. You have a show to go and do. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that is very fortunate, isn't it? <laughs> you think you'll continue... Uh doing offering it online as well as in live if we are able to go back to live at some point in history <laughs> i mean yeah if there's i mean if there's bookings of course you know it's um it, i think it, it it does work i think it would very much work in, in in normal life it would work especially for people who are separated by distance uh who yeah. can't get together and um i think it works particularly well like i said i mentioned before because at the moment there are only two modes of discussion and two things to talk about that it, it, it's it's particularly welcoming right now as a as a as a distraction from all of that and and people are getting you know we we had all of lockdown in three months and people got sick of doing quizzes and you know as fun as an inventive as some of the quizzes I've, I've seen have been some really good quizzes we're sort of getting to the end of our rope on them and going what else can we do and lots of companies are trying to do things like you know online murder mystery and online this or we'll yeah. send you a bunch of cocktails and you make them and it's and it's great but we wanted to do something a bit different a bit more direct mm. and then trying to bring that immersive gaming thing right into your house and i, I think that's, i think that's i think we're achieving that i think we're getting there aren't we yeah yeah yeah, yeah we've done that tick there's um there's a lot of opportunities on zoom as well as a, as a a new interactive play space that we're um, we're looking at at the moment um, with with new games and like Paul said we we do have the big quiz of utter nonsense which is like 
flipping a, the quiz format on its head. It's like the idea is general knowledge is dead. All you have now is creativity. So it's a very sort of creative, fun, improv game type quiz <laughs> with a very weird point system going on. Um, so that's that's an alternative to quizzes. And, and gen, but generally, other than quizzes on, on Zoom, there tends to be the murder mysteries. And what we're looking at now is um, games that uh, make the most of, of these new Zoom tools, but also this interactive space, which weirdly enough, uh, well, what we've discovered is puppets are really cool for this. Uh, for this is because we can create lots of different characters using puppet. I've got Zoltar over there. I don't know if you can see him. He's um, just, just in the corner. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I can. That's a, my fortune telling guy who um, like, cause I like to sort of think about various futures, as you said earlier, it's like futures is what keeps us up at night. So again, mm -hmm. going back to mental health and the areas of play, can we sort of uh, play with that? And that's what Zoltar does. Um, We've got another game, um, the, the Lord's Apprentice, mm -hmm. where Lord Sugarplums is uh, the god of the economy. And um, all these people, like you can have like, a, a, I think what we're trying to do is work out how to have 100 people uh, in, a, in essentially a knockout game format. Um, but yeah. keep them, like the ones who are knocked out in the first five minutes, keep them entertained throughout. And so we've got ideas on how to do that and we'll be playtesting that one soon as well. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of scope for play in this, in this realm. And of course, when uh, the more remote people are coming, uh, becoming, the more, the more we'll want to play. And of course the weather's shit outside sometimes as well. So we've, as an option for an evening in, it's, it's yeah. kind of fun for 90 minutes. The weather's minutes. going to um, gradually over the next six weeks, usually being that we're in the UK get more and more and more shit probably we've got one rainy weekend in august coming up and then i think it's like a bit of sunshine in october everyone goes oh oh sunshine Ooh. in october and then that's a bit it'll be cold and wet for the rest of it yeah yeah although we've had glorious 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 weather um during lockdown which is ironic um in itself isn't it? i think we've had one of the nicest summers I can remember actually. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I think we thought, I, I think a lot of people and a lot of people I've spoken to thought that this would be, people didn't realize initially how long it was going to kind of go on for. And of course, this weekend, we've just had an announcement that they're rolling back some of the things that they've unlocked, and which was a bit of a blow with theaters and live events. Cause of course, everyone was going first of August, excellent. And now suddenly they've said no 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 and so i was going to ask you i've talked a little bit about it but um sort of and again secrecy is always a problem when i say so what are you working on next what's next what should people be looking out for and expecting and how do potentially people get involved in play testing and that sort of thing for people listening um if they're interested <laughs> uh, if they want to play test so, um right to uh buck buck games or info at buck buck games dot com um, and put themselves forward as a play tester we we're open to that um, there yeah generally so to touch upon what happened in terms of <laughs> 
the the beginning of lockdown it was it was a, a bit of a breakdown from from my end of like shit i've just spent like I actually did lock myself down for three months before lockdown to uh, do enough marketing to sell tickets up until July. And then <laughs> had to, I can laugh about it now because it's fucking funny. <laughs> and then had to uh, refund or write emails to these people. And, and uh, I'm still getting some today uh, about uh, the games um, not running. And, and it's, it's a lot of, I'd say 80% of, of people um, it was really interesting getting the feedback on on people's perception of theatre. A lot of them are actually okay. Yeah, no, we'll we'll take your open-ended code to play again for when you're on up on there. And, and I'm like, thanks a lot. Thanks for supporting the arts. You guys are great. We're going to give you a great game, and that will happen. Um, and then occasionally there are people that are like, well, no, you cancelled the game. <laughs> As a point of view, it's like, yeah, you cancelled the game, so officially we deserve our money back. And you're like, well, did we? Wasn't it like the government that sort of decided all that sort of? Why would we, like these people who love playing and creating fun for you guys, why would we not do that? Um, so, yeah, it, it has been interesting to learn the perception of theatre from, from the audience side of things through, through that experience. Um, but yeah, it, generally it was the attitude was 2020s off the cards for, for live theatre. And that was way back in March. Mm. Like to take that viewpoint, it was a big, big puncture in the stomach. But then it was, um, okay, well, what can we do? And I did a improv thing on Zoom and was like, this is, this is a good format. We can make this work. And it, it, it really, it, it's, there's a lot of actors I think an improviser, a lot of people who just don't like it, and I get it. It's like when you close that lap, you've just pumped everyone up with all this amazing energy and enthusiasm. I had a great show and usually you'll come out afterwards and you have a drink and you're mixing with other people and they're saying how much they love it. And um, it's a nice, like being a celebrity. It's, uh, it's great. Um, a good celebrity, not a shit one. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and in this in this Zoom world, you kind of just close the laptop and then it's quiet and there's nothing. And it takes, you're probably the same, Paul, right? It takes about like 45 minutes to an hour to oh, yeah. down off that. I'm feeling for an hour, just like, just like okay. Uh, yeah, I missed the applause, absolutely. I know that's really vain, but uh, there's nothing like being clapped for doing your job <laughs> it's really like i mean yeah so i yeah the, the nhs like let's keep doing it because honestly it feels great i know yeah. i know some of them were a bit like oh, you don't have to clap me it's my job and i go i think you'll find being clapped for your job is pretty great <laughs> <laughs> i definitely miss it um yeah. yeah i found myself on one of those thursdays cycling through cycling home uh from from the park and just at that time, and I was just like, this is glorious. Everyone's just, ah. I know it's not for me, but you just feel, oh, this is brilliant. I miss this. <laughs> I wonder if actors have been sneaking out then, uh, just yeah. before the clap and kind of making sure they're in the street. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. I think there was, yeah, it was a sort of weird breathing process during, during when it kicked off, because it's like, I, I like Ben. Like I lost a year's worth of work overnight, and you know that's not that's not no money. 
that's uh, some some sums of money and and livelihood and future and and security and and just things to do in your your new year and you're just like that's gone it's destroyed give it up forget about it and you I literally went through the five stages of grief like you know denial bargaining yeah mm -hmm. acceptance yeah. and you're going yeah no no by June June we'll have something we can do something in June surely surely this will be fine in a few weeks you know that you know keeping some things in the diary and then it did take a while to go this whole year is gone uh, mm -hmm. I don't even know um personally I, I'm a little bit dubious about next year I think it will recover during next year mm. but like the vault the volks festival which happens in january february march is cancelled next year uh people start sorting all their stuff out for edinburgh in january february so whether or not we'll be in a place where people are confident enough to do that in january february next year for august remains to be seen i think there'll be a staggering a different you know it all depends on the vaccine obviously um yeah so yeah so i think we're sort of like we have to accept that this is kind of it for now let's make the best of what we have um i chat to zoltar about it all the time he, yeah he, he talks about various futures and um all sorts of things you know it's great keeps me up all night long fantastic in, in, terms, <laughs> in terms of in terms of future plugging um i have uh, I've been doing um, some stuff for Nightmare Live on, on Facebook, basically. As soon as lockdown happened, I started doing a Choose Your Own Adventure version of, of Nightmare just on Facebook Live. Um, and it's been, obviously, been like 12 weeks now, and it's built a little audience, and it's really nice. Um, but Facebook is rubbish. Uh, and so I'm going to take the leap next week and go on to Twitch. Uh, and so if people want to find me on Twitch, I'll be at The Pirate Moustache. That's the channel. Excellent. Um, uh, and yeah, and we're going to do, I'm going to obviously be able to do versions of, uh, I'll probably do a version of Questiony, but with guests, like guest comedians coming and playing, um, which would be fun. Uh, I'll do some a Nightmare, the Nightmare Live sessions. I'll be able to get like uh, other actors who did Nightmare Live and maybe talk to some of the original actors and get them to improvise and do, do a interview or do a, a podcast version of Nightmare. Uh, got lots of games that I'm going to play as well. Silly games that we've i've come across <laughs> just just you know just throw stuff at this channel because that's what you have to do you have to go and do a thing now i have to create content um, yes. but it's there to sort of supplement back up and to uh, enhance all the other things that we're doing with buck buck mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and all the other sort of various bits and pieces keep things so, live people listening then um can be rest assured that you are basically exploring the new place base of zoom land and should expect stuff very shortly yeah imminently yeah. <laughs> so got, uh, uh, like i said liam fleming's new show uh bant's quest which oh, is a so your cool. perfect night out <laughs> it's so good it's such good fun yeah you just get your mates together and do have the big night out you currently can't have yeah but in like in, in a role play game and you, yeah you have to go to a club and get the dj to put on your big summer banger that's the quest. <laughs> Will you get past the bouncer? Will you get past the bouncer? Yeah. <laughs> Will you get way late on the dance floor? Well, yeah, it's so, it's so good. It's just, it, it, yeah, it's the perfect sort of crossover between sort of like um, Dungeons and Dragons and uh, human traffic. It just, <laughs> just sort of like, Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, you don't have to know too much about either one. You're like, oh, everyone's been on a big night out. So everything 
everything's very, very relatable. Um, but there's sort of like this, sort of, yeah, the similar gaming mechanics that we use in Questerly to get you there. It's so, mm -hmm. so good. It's so, so good. at the moment, then you can do Questerly and uh, Bant's Quest, and they're the two things that people can come and come and book. Yeah, the big quiz of utter nonsense as well, which is for up to a uh, hundred people. We can have multiple hosts doing that, uh, which is a lot of silly fun. Um, there is the Zoltar game that's coming out very soon, um, where Zoltar is, you're challenging Zoltar to be a, a psychic. Uh, it's a, a, a game where, yeah, it's, it's a, lot, a lot of fun about various futures that can happen and guessing them and, and uh, kind of acting them out uh, mm -hmm. among your fellow teammates in a one person is the psychic and everyone else isn't so so it's like yeah there's a very it's a sort of like find out who who is the person and um Zoltar score points for it and it's a lot of silly fun uh and then the apprentice game the lord's apprentice which is going to be out probably in end of september i think so that'll be ready for autumn to play we've got a uh, an alan sugar puppet with coins around his head. Oh, excellent. Uh, that looks really funny for, for that one. So where's the best place for people to kind of follow, to keep up to date with everything that's happening, news and stuff? Is it your website or is it Twitter or Facebook? Uh, well, there's buckbuckgames.com um, and then you can click on the online games to see what's available on there. Uh, the live games and um, we're still doing private live theatre um, for people who want to set up their garden activities. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, there, there is a Facebook, there is an Instagram um, and possibly a Twitch soon as well, but we're still like working out how to do the overlay OBS and all that sort of systems coming with it. But mm -hmm. you can subscribe on buckbuckgames.com and receive the newsletters that come out occasionally. That's probably the best way then to keep up to date with, with everything that's going on is subscribe. <laughs> subscribe, yes. Yes, and then you'll know. Well, thank you. We've been talking for a very long time, so I'm very aware of that. Um, probably let everyone uh, get away to do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, but thank you very, very much for joining me and also for giving me the opportunity to play Questiony. I had a lot of fun. It was brilliant. I was a, a bad ex, uh, for anyone listening. If you want to know what that is, um, maybe email me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> I, I, I'll say, actually, because otherwise I'm going to get loads of emails, aren't I? People saying, what's a badex? It's a badger and a fox crossed together. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. What else would it possibly be? True, true love knows no bounds in the forest. <laughs> no. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you thank so you. much. And it was lovely talking to you. And hopefully uh, we'll uh, cross the paths again, very likely, since we seem to know a lot of the same people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As ever, I love to hear from all of you folks listening across the globe. Um, so please do get in touch uh, to tell me your thoughts, uh, to tell me where you listen from, why you listen, 
Or, of course, if you think that you are someone that I should be talking to or someone who is making the kind of work that I should be going and seeing. I love discovering new work and new perspectives uh, on immersive theatre. Uh, you can reach me at talkingaboutimmersivetheatre at gmail.com. That's talkingaboutimmersivetheatre at gmail.com. Now, as I'm sure you know all too well firsthand, things are a little bit peculiar still. And um, trying to juggle little humans, work, research, uh, lecturing is pretty full on at the moment. So episodes will likely not be as regular as they once were, but uh, I will be endeavouring to put out content as and when I have uh, produced that for you. So uh, until next time, wishing you health and happiness. Until then, bye bye.